Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to this edition of the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham in Texas, my good friend Rabbi Dove Lipman in the land of Israel. Rabbi Lipman, Shalom, how are you, sir? Shalom, doing great, Pastor. How's everything over there? God is good. We are thankful. Let's turn our attention to this week's Torah portion. Tetzaveh, the Hebrew word that means you shall command. It's the name of this week's weekly parasha, the Bible portion, covering Exodus chapters 27, 28, 29, and 30. And our listeners will remember we have come out of the Exodus. The people of Israel have made their way toward the promised land we discussed the tabernacle called in hebrew the mishkan that was built using the exact specifications of the lord's instructions on what type of materials what color what size and now we have the role of the high priest the kohen gadol whose job is to represent the people of israel in god's presence to enter the holy of holies the kodesh hakodashim to go before the lord's presence And what's interesting is Moses has been the leader of the people of Israel ever since he was called back into service to be their deliverer. But his brother Aaron, the older brother, has been sort of in the background of the story. But because Aaron is the high priest, the first high priest, this story focuses on Aaron. Tell us some more about that part of the story. The leader of the people of Israel from the time beginning of the Exodus story began has been Moses. And Moses was the younger brother of Aaron. He's the one who redeems them from Egypt. He's the one who brings in the Ten Commandments and is there for the revelation at, at, at Mount Sinai. And Aaron willingly took a back seat to that and understood that this is what God has chosen and this is the way it's going to be. But there, there is a danger sometimes in saying that Moses is the Savior. Moses is God's representative. And it's very easy for us to lose sight of God and begin to focus on Moses. And we'll actually see that in a later story uh, that it plays out with the golden calf. But this is a portion where Moses' name is not mentioned in the entire portion. Even the first word is ve'ata, and you go command the Jewish people, not and you Moses, not and God said to Moses, as we usually see throughout the Bible. And the lesson for us is, yes, God shows Moses. And obviously we call him Moshe Rabbeinu in Hebrew. He's our teacher. He's the source, like I said, of the Bible, the revelation. He's the one who God instructed to write the Bible. And then God comes along and says, Moses, in this portion, you're not writing your name. You're not there. It's you, but not you by name. And Moses is obedient to that, of course, and doesn't write his name. And we see the humility of Moses uh, in doing so for sure but also in allowing his brother Aaron to take center stage. He's the one whose children are going to be the high priests and wear the special clothing which is outlined in the portion, and Moses gladly uh, writes about that in that manner. 
And we learn from that, first of all, obviously, the humility of Moses, but also to remember that it's about God, and it's not about Moses. Moses is a vehicle uh, to help us get to God in terms of his being our teacher and an inspiration, but to always remember that it goes beyond any human being, and the goal is to reach out to the divine. And that's why this is the only portion that we have for the moment that Moses comes out of the beginning of Exodus, all the way until his death at the end of Deuteronomy, where his name is not mentioned. And those are some of the lessons that we can learn from that. And I might remind our listeners that through the Spirit of God giving instruction to a human author, the writer of the book of Exodus is Moses. And he was given the words to write down, and he never wrote his own name down in the middle of this story. It's all focusing on his older brother. As Rabbi Lippman was saying, it's a reflection of humility and letting other people have the spotlight, if you want to use a cliche there. But not just spotlight for your own notoriety, but in service to the Lord. What the Christians, we call the body of Christ, that each of us has a different role to play. And in this case, the role for Aaron was to be the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. And like when we studied the tabernacle last week, this time it's very specific and detailed instructions regarding the garments of the high priest, his robe, his breastplate, the belt, the, the head covering. All of these are very specific instructions. And Rabbi, what is the lesson again of the specificity of God? We talked about it last week, that God's not a God of disorder. He's a God of order, not chaos. So why do you think the specific instructions for the high priest and his garments were so important? So first of all, I want to tell you, Pastor, that I shared uh, the lesson that you taught me uh, about the message of God focusing on the details and that are learning that lesson that often people will say, oh, I didn't care about the world overall, but not the specifics of what we do or what happens on a detailed level. And, and the specific we had last week about the tabernacle shows that he pays attention to the specifics and he's involved with specifics. And that, I told people that uh, over the course of the Sabbath last week, and that continues in this week's portion where we have such detail in terms of the clothing and how it should be made. There's no doubt that there's an overall lesson of the notion of, yes, we're physical human beings, and we're expected to use the physical in the worship of God. The priest is wearing very special clothing, and it's supposed to bring glory to God. Uh, we should take that to heart uh, in terms of the you know, special occasions and, 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 and reaching out to God. And sometimes we say the physical doesn't matter because it's all about the spiritual, but we as physical human beings are supposed to use the physical things that we have and use them in the worship of God. So here we have people with all kinds of skills and people who have materials and using them uh, in the highest level of talent to create these articles of clothing and for the priests to actually wear them. So for us, and for the Jewish faith, there's very much a message of the physical is important when it's used in the context of spirituality. And when that's done, that actually can be the highest level of holiness, that we're taking something which is physical and material, but elevating it to a use that's spiritual. How do you see the commands about the clothing? We have a lot of understanding in the New Testament about the role of Jesus as our high priest. In fact, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, 
yet without sin. So the New Testament tells us that Jesus became our high priest. And of course, Jesus was the Jewish man who was also Messiah, we believe. And so he has this role as high priest that mirrors the role of high priest given in the Jewish scriptures, the Torah. And each of these garments from the breastplate, which has the 12 stones, each of the 12 stones representing a different tribe of Israel, You've got the head covering and you've got the golden plate, kind of a crown on the head. You've got a girdle or a belt. You've got fine linens that were well made and uh, clean. And all of these things, as we said before, are indications we think of order and beauty and reminders of who God is and the character of God. And Rabbi, I know in some Christian traditions, and I would assume in some Jewish traditions, people get caught up in the rituals, the actions, what some Christians call the sacraments, but they're only focused on the action and they have forgotten the reason behind these actions. And so what we don't want to do is get caught up with physical things like the breastplate, and forget what the meaning behind these things was, and how each of these are to tell a story and to give a lesson to us about what we should learn about who God is, about how God operates in the world, and how we should see his nature and his beauty come out in the clothing. Absolutely. And, and uh, the point that you mentioned, we actually, uh, I could say within the Jewish faith, uh, there's a struggle sometimes because, you know, we have commandments on a daily basis and we have prayers on a daily basis, and it's easy to lapse into doing things just by rote, to doing things without the thought behind them, and you have to always uh, remind yourself uh, of that. Actually, one of the articles of clothing that the high priest had to wear actually is part of that message. Uh, he actually had bells uh, on the bottom of his robe as he would walk. And the purpose of the bells was sort of to be this constant reminder uh, about what it's all about and that it's not just about fulfilling the laws, but that the laws are there as a vehicle, as a medium to get somewhere in terms of uh, spirituality. So yes, it's something which always has to be, uh, we have to be on alert about, and it's something which is difficult to maintain when you live a very spiritual life. And it's something which the, our sages uh, throughout the generations talked about, uh, to always remember what the goal is and not to lose yourself filling the commandments. When you talk about the role of the high priest, and we often use him in des descriptions of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, because on one day of the year, one person was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKodeshim, and that was the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. Talk about how much responsibility this man had, and Aaron was the first one, as we learned in Exodus 28, how much responsibility he had to be the representative of the Jewish people before the Lord. This was a, a major role, and the exact scenario that you just explained really captures it, that only one human being was allowed in the Holy of Holies in the temple once a year, and that's the high priest. And if he did not go in prepared properly, and if he did not focus properly, and if he had any kind of impurity associated with him, he actually would not survive uh, that experience. That's the degree that we're talking about. And there was actually this big celebration on Yom Kippur when the high priest would emerge uh, from the Holy of Holies 
uh, intact and healthy and alive because there was a fear that the people had. This is the holiest place on earth. It's the place which contains the Ark of the Covenant. And the goal was that you'd have a very saintly, righteous person uh, in that role a person who was given over completely to the people, not a political figure, but someone who was just there to bring peace and love. And it's very interesting. When Moses passes away, of course the people of Israel mourn, but it doesn't say all the people, like it does when Aaron passes away. This is later on in Deuteronomy. Aaron, as the high priest, was in a position where it was all about creating love amongst the people, being there to atone for the people, and one could say the highest level of holiness uh, that there could be. And that's partially why he has special clothing. All the priests had four articles of clothing, where the high priest had eight. And he had eight, which really, they were very royal in nature, regal, and really brought the attention of the people to realize this is a, this is a special person. Uh, it's something which, on Yom Kippur, I should tell you, when we finish reciting the story of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, we then say very, we celebrate that, and then we say very sadly a prayer which says, that's the way it used to be when we had a temple and when things were the way they were supposed to be, as God intended, and certainly we express our yearning uh, for that to change. One of the roles of all the priests, including the high priest, was to carry out the sacrifices of the people, that they would come to the Mishkan, the tabernacle that we talked about last week, and they would bring their sacrifices to the Lord. And just like we today bring sacrifices to the Lord, we don't usually bring farm animals and livestock, but we bring our money, we bring our time, we bring our talents. More than that, we bring our hearts to the Lord. And there are lots of different and, again, specific instructions in this Torah portion, Exodus 27 through 30, about how the offerings are to be done. And again, I say that Lord is not a God of disorder, but he's a God of detail. And we are to bring these various types of sacrifices to the Lord. And so I want to read in a moment, Rabbi, the different types of offerings and ask you to comment on them. But first of all, just give us a teaching about the purpose of bringing offerings. We know that God doesn't need our money. He's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our livestock, but he asks us to bring our offerings to him, starting here in the tabernacle. Why is that such an important lesson for us even today? Yeah, so the offerings uh, were very much representative of or symbolic of our giving ourselves over to God. We can't take our own lives. We can't kill ourselves. So they would actually lean, it's called smicha, against the animal, feel that it's alive and the offering of the animal was uh, symbolic of our giving ourselves over to God. And therefore today, we don't have the offerings any longer. We have to just implement the lesson and say that we're going to dedicate our lives uh, to the service of God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what uh, we need to learn from the sacrifices. The term korban for sacrifice also has the word karov, which is to come close. Because giving something over, which is supposed to be you, uh, reminding yourself that our lives have to be dedicated to God, that realization brings that closeness. Uh, that's where the word sacrifice also comes from as well, that we give of ourselves. We're not going to take our lives, but give up of things that might be self-indulging and things that might be to enable us to have an enjoyable, comfortable life, which is not 
a problem to have, but it shouldn't be done at the detriment of serving God. And we're supposed to give up from ourselves as much as possible uh, to God. That's the way we understand the sacrifices. The very specific instructions about the handling of offerings is given more in the book of Leviticus than it is here in the book of Exodus. But let me give these three types of voluntary sacrifices and two types of mandatory sacrifices that the book of Leviticus will tell us later on and ask you to comment on them because I I draw a parallel to when we talked about the specific plagues in the Exodus story when God defeated the false deities of Egypt. I think each of these has a specific meaning. The Lord is not random. He has specific purposes. So the three voluntary offerings were called the burnt offering. That was an animal, a bull or a ram. Then they had the grain offering, which was made of grain or flour or oil or salt. The third voluntary offering was a peace offering, which was an unblemished animal or various types of breads. And then two mandatory sacrifices. You had the sin offering, the atonement for sin, and you would use another animal, again, a bull, a goat, or even a dove or a pigeon. And the other mandatory sacrifice was called a trespass offering, and that was an atonement for sin, and that had to be a ram. And so there are voluntary sacrifices given, mandatory sacrifices given, and each of these, burnt, grain, peace, sin offering, and trespass offering, they each have a lesson for us. One level is to understand that no matter what sin a person commits, there is a path towards atonement if they're willing to take that step. In certain cases, it's going to take a lot more effort, and it'll be a more expensive animal. It'll be more difficult, which is what that represents, to get back to the Lord, but you can do it. Um, in some cases, it might require less, but the, the, the bottom line is that we do have to make the effort to atone for those things that we do wrong. But as a second level, uh, that we have in terms of just the idea of there being different types of offerings. Because, you know, you talk about offering a cow, it's a lot of money, and there are people who might not have that money. There are people who might be able to afford a uh, less expensive animal. There are some people who might not be able to afford an animal at all, but they can afford a bird. Some people can't even afford the bird, but they can bring a meal offering. And the message that God has given to us by mentioning all these different types of possible offerings is, you have no excuse. You can find a way to atone. You can find a way to give voluntary offerings. Every single person is equipped with the ability to get close to God and don't use anything like financial status as an excuse not to be able to do so. And that's very much the image that we have of people from all different classes in society and financial standing. Everyone has the ability to connect to God, and that's what we understand uh, in our faith. Uh, that you can learn from these different options. How about how about yourself, and what would you see uh, from these offerings? We agree that it is a symbol of giving yourself. And as we say, you can give your heart to the Lord, you can give your money to the Lord, you can give your time to the Lord, but all of those things are representations of you devoting yourself to the Lord. And you made the comment a moment ago about the different types of animals that could be used as sacrifice was a provision, I believe, a provision of grace by God to allow people of every economic status to give an offering before the Lord. And our Christian audience may remember part of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 is that Mary and Joseph, the mother of Jesus, the 
man, her husband, who we don't believe is the father of Jesus, but the man who raised Jesus, they came to bring the baby Jesus to the temple for his dedication on his eighth day. And it says they brought to him in verse 24 of Luke 2, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so they brought what we believe was an offering to the Lord, but they brought inexpensive offering because that's all that they could afford. But it was still in accordance with the Lord's calling to give sacrificially out of what you have. And so the lessons we're learning in Exodus and Leviticus about offerings we see lived out by Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2. And everybody has the chance to decide, am I ready to go all in with the Lord? There's a cliche in Rabbi, you may not like it or know it, but some people talk about when they give to the Lord, they're giving him a tip. It's just a little tip. It's a little off the top. It's no sacrifice. Again, if you're a millionaire and you give $1, that's not a sacrifice. If you only have $10 or $5 and you give $1, that's a sacrifice before the Lord. And so it ought to cost me something to follow the Lord, and I ought to value him enough that I'm willing to give that which is most important to me to the God who's given me everything. And that's exactly uh, a message that we would uh, agree with. And again, today when we don't have the offerings, like you said, Pastor, we can still apply it to our lives in terms of how we give ourselves over to God, how we give to others, which is also fulfilling the Word of God, and everyone finding their way to do as much as they can do. And that's something that we have to apply uh, to our lives and always be thinking. We should also mention, can we do more? You know, sometimes we can get uh, caught up in a situation where, yeah, I have my standard donation, I have my standard time that I give to the synagogue or the church, I have my standard amount that I give to charity. And like we talked about before, about getting just caught up in the road and not trying to see, can I do more? Can I grow more? Can I get even closer to God? And that's very much the way we have to always uh, be analyzing where we are standing spiritually. Rabbi, as we continue to talk about this week's Torah portion, it covers Exodus chapters 27 through 30, and you taught me personally a very interesting lesson, and that was from Exodus chapter 29, verse 39. And I want to read it for our listeners and give them a moment to think about what the lesson is they might take from Exodus 29, 39. The one lamb or the one sheep you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at evening or at twilight. Some people might see this as give your best to the Lord or do your best all day long to serve the Lord, but it's very specific language. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other in the twilight, and you tell us that the Jewish scholars mean what by this verse? So there's actually a discussion that's recorded amongst our sages in our tradition. What is the most important verse in the Bible? And many people would say, oh, it must be the Shema, the hero of Israel, the Lord is one. That's one which we say in our prayers twice a day. Others might come up with another verse that talks about some high, lofty act that we do. And then the sage says, it's actually this verse that you just mentioned right now, where it says, offer a sacrifice in the morning. And the sacrifice is offered uh, in the evening. We call it in Hebrew, it's called the Korban Tamid. It's actually the word Tamid is mentioned right before this verse in 29.38, the very last word. And it means continuous. An offering every morning, an offering every evening. And why in the world can, would anybody say 
That is the most important verse in the Bible. And the answer the commentaries give is because it captures one theme, and that's consistency. What the Lord wants from us is consistency. Whether it's praying a few times a day, one time a day, studying a few times a day, once a day, once a week, be consistent. Because consistency uh, actually shows that it's a, a regular part of my life. It's not if I happen to find time here or there. No, I have a regular schedule. I have a regular connection to God that I keep to. And even if that connection is just brief, just a few minutes a day, that is extremely valuable. A little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon. And that's what this verse talks about. And that's where we learn the message of the importance uh, of consistency. And I have to imagine this is something which goes across all faiths. I would think of several Bible verses. One comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So the idea of morning and evening devotions to the Lord. You mentioned the Shema prayer in Deuteronomy 6. It says to teach this to your children when you lie down and when you rise up. So the idea of consistency and always being devoted to the Lord is very important. In the book of Revelation, in the New Testament, chapter 3, Jesus said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would prefer that you are either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Graphic statement. But the the point is what? Don't be in sometimes and out sometimes. And don't be lukewarm spiritually. Be on fire for the Lord at all times. I think that matches this idea of consistency. God says, don't play games with me. Don't be cold and hot. Be always on fire for me. And that's the goal. The goal is to have that consistency. The goal is to, I would say, certainly on a daily basis, to make sure that uh, we're connected spiritually and that spirituality stay with us throughout the day, which, which relates to that uh, staying hot, as you called it. And actually, as you, were talking just, as you were talking just now, it reminded me that in the very, very beginning of the portion, and now I'm going backwards for a moment, but there is the notion of a light, a flame in the temple uh, burning all the time. We call it the Ner Tamid, burning. Uh, it's at the end of chapter twenty, chapter twenty-seven, verse twenty. There's going to be a lamp that burns continuously at the end of that verse in the menorah, uh, and that's that message. The message is that it has to be consistent. It has to be continuous. It can't be something uh, where it's sometimes yes, sometimes no, and that seems to be a theme which we're now noticing throughout this portion of Tzavah. So, Rabbi, wrap it up for us today. The role of the high priest and the role of the average worshiper to be consistent before the Lord. Wrap up our Torah study today. I think exactly the way you just said it right now uh, is the ultimate message. And that is, you can have a high priest. He has all of his responsibilities. You can have a person who has a lot of money, and they're the ones who are giving maybe the really expensive offerings. uh, But spirituality is for everyone. And everyone has to find their place. And the most important thing that a person has to find is that consistency. To remember that it has to be continuous. It has to be something which uh, lasts throughout our lifetimes, throughout our years, throughout our days. 
And just having the regular reminders uh, throughout our day on a consistent basis, that's ultimately the key to enable anybody, whether you're the high priest or, like you said, a regular citizen, to be able to be a spiritual human being. We've been studying this week's Torah portion. The pastor and the rabbi join together each week here on the Lone Star Podcast. It's a privilege, my friend, to share the Word of God with you. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much, Pastor. Shabbat Shalom to you and to everyone who's listening. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.